Welcome to the Chicago Bears Podcast. A presentation of ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Here's your host, Pat the Designer. Bad on Bears fans, we are back after Memorial Day weekend for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. Alcohol has been drank. Memorial Day has been finished. Shout out to all the veterans out there. Courtney Cronin is here with us for another week on a Tuesday edition, and we have so much to get to with the Bears. Courtney, how you doing this week? I'm good. How, I hope you guys had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. It's wild that it's June. I was not expecting to wake up this morning and see all the tweets of 100 days till the NFL season. And as excited as I am for that, I need the next two months before training camp to slow down. We need to, we need to take this time, Pat, to regenerate from what was a very long season and what was a really hectic off season. But, I mean, it's exciting to know how close it really is. It it's it, it, this is the tough time, right? Because we got the NBA finals finishing and both baseball teams in town are just like yeah. floundering fish, basically. So it's just like, what am I going to sit down and be excited mm-hmm. to watch for the next two months? And this is the time where I venture out into other sports. This is when I start looking up what's going on with lacrosse, which just ended as well. You know, it is a, what happened during the season. This is where I start looking at the overseas stuff. You know, what do they got going on with uh, hoop ball or whatever that is over there in uh, in Australia? It's, it's, this is the time I venture out. A little bit of rugby. I do get into the rugby a little bit. You, I mean, you mess with you rugby. You could go outside. There is a whole city to explore here. There's a lake. It's massive. I think if you decided you wanted to spend a little bit of time at each beach, I think you would end up using your whole summer to do that. So, I, But I get it. I mean, it's. It is tough at this time of year at the sports calendar because the finals are just about to start. And once that's over, there's a huge gap. But as we know in the NFL, the entire summer is taking the big storylines from kind of a relatively quiet offseason outside of Lamar's contract and Aaron Rodgers moving and seeing which ones, you know, we can extrapolate from the last news cycle and make them like spin them forward into the news, the new one. So, yeah. It's all about gearing up towards training camp and positional previews and positional battles and everything else. So there really is never any shortage of NFL stuff if you really are looking for it. Hey, that's why the Chicago Bears podcast is here Monday through Friday. Speaking of which, we got to talk about DeAndre Hopkins possibly being a bear. <laughs> eh, probably not. We'll see. We'll see what uh, Courtney feels about that. And then uh, which guys will have the best chance at their second contract? There's actually a wide receiver, a couple of wide receivers in this group that are going to be fighting it out for that second contract. So that'll be interesting to talk about. Darnell Wright, uh, we didn't get this on Friday. I was going to do this with uh, Yerk, but talking about Darnell Wright's uh, coaching staff, speaking on his day with the bears and what that was like in his workout and how he might have a couple of screw looses with screws loose, which actually excites me a little bit. Uh, and then also going to talk about the weekend, all that and more in today's episode of the Chicago bears podcast, hit that like button, subscribe to the page. If you're on the YouTube side, if you are sitting with us on the podcast side, listening on the ESPN Chicago app, make sure you leave that five-star review. Let's get into the first quarter. First quarter. So, Courtney, DeAndre Hopkins outright released Mm -hmm. by the Arizona Cardinals. Of all the people that they hate, I didn't think DeAndre Hopkins would be the guy. Well, we know (laughs) he wanted out of there. And they had been trying to trade him, Pat, all offseason. But his salary, it's $19.45 million in, in 2023. That base salary was the holdup. And it's... It was surprising when it came down when it did on Friday that they're just going to outright release him, that they weren't even going to try to get like a seventh round pick and, you know, do whatever they could to get him off the roster and to eat all of that dead cap and make not designate him a post June one release. He's pre June one. So that's twenty one million dollars that they're going to have to carry on the cap this year it only further shows you that the arizona cardinals are mailing it in for 2023 there's no kyler murray it's a brand new coaching staff they made some trades in the draft that will end up setting them up for next year uh, more than it would this year despite getting paris johnson jr who might be the best offensive lineman 
in the class. He was the first one taken yeah. overall, but I, I just, I, I was surprised by the, them eating the cat, eating so much of the, of their dead cap this year, not having the, you know, not wanting to split that out over the next two seasons. But for, for, if you look at it from that perspective, from what the Arizona Cardinals are doing and how this sets them up for 2024, 2025, like they incur all of the hardship this year, the financial, financial burden that comes with this. And also, you know, you've got a quarterback he just gave a massive contract extension to last year, and he's not going to be playing for you until like late November at the very earliest because right. of the ACL tear. But then again, why are they, why would they bring him back if like they're a two, three win team at that time, they're not going anywhere. So it's probably the year that we don't see Kyler Murray, but I, I, I think it's a smart thing to do if you just want to like rip the bandaid off. Hopkins didn't want to be there and the Arizona Cardinals did not want him there. They'd been trying to move him. It was difficult to find somebody to take on that salary. And now he hits the free agent market and there's quite a few teams that he named where he'd want to go. And, you know, the bears were not among those names on the I am athlete podcast that he ended up putting out there, but you've got to at least check in on it. If you're Ryan yeah. polls in the bears front office. Yeah. The bears have one thing uh, more than anybody else has. It's not wins. It's not uh, talent. It is money. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, money speaks. And I think here's, Here's where I kind of look at it, where maybe they have a shot. I don't know if D-Hop is going to want to come here initially, but at the end of the day, the Bears are the only team that could go out there and offer him probably close to what he wants because I think a lot of teams, like you said, shied away from him at almost $20 million and a $21 million cap hit. They, nobody wants to take that on for a 30-year-old wide receiver who I believe still has a ton of good football left in him if I'm if you're Ryan Poles, is this the swing that you take to try and go all in for that big name player that finally I think would take the Bears offense to a a uh, 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 Bengals type of offense or a Chiefs mm-hmm. early on type of offense where yeah. everywhere you look there's a weapon to throw to. There is, and like I'll go through the names that we know of what he said on the on the Brandon Marshall's podcast uh, where he wants to go are the Chiefs. Yeah. The Bills, the Los Angeles Chargers, the who else? The Ravens are on there, which I don't know how that's going to work because they just signed Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> um, and I think there might have been one more, but I do know that he did not name the Cowboys as one of those teams. And of course, there's some speculation just because with their finances and how they'd be able to like fit him within their cap situation. Oh, also as the Eagles, like you'd be fine playing with Jalen Hurts. So like yeah. he's naming all contenders, but. If you're the Bears, if you're Ryan Poles and you decide that it's like this could be your big swing that you make this offseason, it would it would come at a cost because that Odell Beckham contract, one year fifteen million dollars, really kind of, you know, set things in a different direction. Like he didn't take any pay cuts by taking that one year deal with the Baltimore Ravens. I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is gonna do any team any favor because of what he was making in Arizona. Now, if he wants to go to a contender, especially a team like the Chiefs, who have a pretty murky cap situation right now, but if you do, there's some complex restructures you can do to get, you know, you know, to get your health, to make your cap set situation healthier. But I, I just know he'd have to probably take a pay cut to go there. So if he's looking, it's, you got to ask yourself, what does DeAndre Hopkins want? Be Hopkins want? Because it sounds like he wants to go to a contender. If that's the case, you, you find a place that you really like after a couple visits, um, you know, during your doing free agent visits, all that, then maybe you end up conceding a little bit and not taking on as, as, as big of a salary. But if you're in this and saying, hey, this might be my last big contract that I signed, as you mentioned his age, you know, he's 30 years old, then maybe if you are looking for a big payday, there are a couple teams that aren't necessarily contenders right now, the Bears being one of them, but they can afford somebody like that. The only question is, would this would Ryan Poles consider this the knee-jerk sort of reaction where we didn't see them overpay for the, you know, an offensive lineman in free agency. We didn't see them get involved in the very lucrative defensive tackle market. If they end up going and breaking the bank for DeAndre Hopkins, that kind of breaks the mold of what they've been doing, which has been very consistent, very um, you know, methodical, not overpaying sort of moves, but 
they did, you know, go get DJ Moore because they knew that if you wanted a true number one, one of the best wide receivers that can help, you know, among last year's group that could help your quarterback, you do what it takes to get that. DeAndre Hopkins wasn't available as a free agent back then. So now that he is, if you're polls, you at least have to make that call and weigh what it would, what the contract would look like, how long you would anticipate him being here, because there are some other receivers who are up for contract extensions now and might need this year, according to the front office, to like prove those deals, to prove they earn the, that they would earn those deals. So how would that all factor in? There's a lot of moving parts here, but I do think it's something the Bears should consider, considering how good, when DeAndre Hopkins is actually playing, how good he can be. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of people look at the the number 30 now as like this, he's ancient, his knees are dust, right? Like I, this guy's never going to be able to run a route in football again. I, I think the main reason that I'm looking at him is I, DeAndre Hawkins really reminds me of Larry Fitzgerald. Um as like it's not the overwhelming speed that kills you it's his ability to to uh find separation in just his body control it's a, his ability to be able to find the football in awkward positions i think that he's a safety blanket type of player that a young quarterback like justin fields absolutely could use and so i was talking about this over on the windy city breeze today that when I look at DeAndre Hopkins, yes, he's that older player, but I think that he's the kind of player that we could talk about playing to at least 36, 37, with still a ton of good football left in his legs, where it's still a ton of good football left in his body, and that he could be a guy that is that safety blanket for Justin Fields and that guy who's the veteran in the room. But again, like you said, the reason that I don't see it happening is because of how Poles has really gone about his business here in Chicago. He's been... The guy who's I'm going to follow my plan and there's nothing that's going to deviate me from the plan. And I likened it. I likened this situation to the uh, Deion Sanders going to Colorado State and everybody being upset saying, why didn't you just try to move Jackson State up? Why didn't you just try and move Jackson State football to the next level? And basically what he said was, "Okay, Jackson State football is ready to win in a power five conference is Jackson State baseball. Is Jackson State volleyball? Is Jackson State soccer? Whatever other sports they have there, right? That's what I'm looking at DeAndre Hopkins with. If Ryan Poles does make a move like this, are the rest of the Bears ready to be in position to contend? Because this is a signing that says, we're not just trying to make the playoffs this year. We're trying to go deep in the playoffs this season. And again, he's a free agent. He gets to choose where he wants to go among the teams that are going to be, you know, seeking out his talents. Does he want to go to a place where you might not be in contention for something that matters, like a, like, you know, a postseason bid, a deep postseason run for a couple of years? Right. That's something he's got away. If he wants instantaneous success and wants to go to a place that's kind of got an already made roster, it's not in Chicago. He can be part of something here and he can be part of building something. But what does DeAndre Hopkins want? And I... I do agree with you. I do think that there is not the need to panic when guys hit the other side of 30 because especially at the receiver position, we know injuries um, and all of those things can sometimes like you can lose, you know, like, you know, lose your top end speed or lose some athleticism there. I mean, we saw it, you know, with, he brought up Larry Fitzgerald. That's somebody we never really saw it with. Like at the time that he retired, it was kind of just like, yeah, like you know, even during his late years of his career, he wasn't really having much of a drop off. Whereas someone like an Adam Thielen, for example, who ended up really, you know, effectively replacing DJ Moore or being part of that group that's going to try to replace DJ Moore in Carolina. And when he was with the Vikings, like he had some lower body injuries, some ankle injuries towards the end of his time there that ended up taking you know, taking a part of part of like who he was as a football player away and you lose a step. So then you see guys like that end up moving on. Like this was not a case of that with the Arizona Cardinals. You know, there was a suspension for PEDs last year. He didn't play until week seven. I don't know if he was the happiest uh, throughout his time in Arizona. (laughs) And let's be real. That wasn't his choice. Bill O'Brien shipped him there for David Johnson um, in a second and a fourth round pick. I think DeAndre Hopkins would have been plenty happy staying with Deshaun Watson in Houston. Hopefully, yeah. if, you know, if things would have played out differently down there and they would have been an actual winning football team, it would have looked a lot different. But he's at a point of his career where it's like, come on, like, I don't have that many more years left if we're looking at it realistically. So if I want to contend, if I want to go try to, like, you know, compete for a championship, like the closest he got was that 
you know, first half against the Kansas City Chiefs back during the 2019 season before they like rolled over um, in the second half and, and were put out of the playoffs. Yeah. If you want to get that, you probably have to go to a place where it's going to be quick. You're going to have to, you can kind of bypass some of the steps to get there. And in Chicago, that's just not the case. And that's just, that would go against a lot of the things that they have preached about how they want to build this thing to, you know, contribute to sustainability. And I'm not saying that you never want, like, an, it's always good to have an abundance of weapons and an abundance of options. I'm curious, though, with the receiver room that looks the way it does right now, it makes the competition even better if you bring in someone like DeAndre Hopkins. But what does that mean for DJ Moore? I mean, you've just traded, uh, you know, a lot of draft capital or you ended up, you know, you, you traded number one pick to get DJ Moore and a lot of draft capital in return. And I just, I don't think you want to like frustrate the guy that you just, you know, you just traded for by bringing in somebody else and that could potentially diminish his role or put him in a role that maybe he wasn't expecting. We know it's a business that guys have to deal with this for the betterment of the team. But before he were to even play a snap of football with the bears, I just, I don't know how that would work. Yeah, it it, it would be interesting. I, I think that, we, oddly enough, I think that DJ Moore still would probably be the number one in that situation. I think that he's that good. And I mean, honestly, I mean, another topic we can get into is we get we head into the second quarter on this one. Second quarter. PFF actually put out its rankings on uh, where the Chicago Bears wide receiver ranked and uh, top 20. Got me a little excited. I'm not going to lie, Courtney. Said uh, the Chicago Bears securing more services as part of their trade out of the number one overall pick uh, was a real coup. Uh, he isn't coming off a great year of production, but prior to last season, he had three straight 1,100-yard-plus receiving yards and is still averaging 1.4, uh, 1.94 yards per route uh, run for his career, despite some ugly quarterback situations, very ugly quarterback situations, might I add. Uh, he could still be an elite target for Justin Fields, um, even though in the NFL, basically. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with 16th overall for him? We kind of talked about his rankings. I think we had him a little bit lower. I think we had him about 18 We've had like to 15 23. To, yeah, 15 to like 20. Like yeah. somewhere there. He's a top 15 receiver. I, I agree with that. He's not the upper echelon elite elite of the Justin Jefferson's of the world or Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, but he's a very, very good receiver. And I think that all the things that PFF just pointed out there, what we have come to know about DJ Moore since he was drafted by the Panthers in 2018, he can produce when the quarterback situation is suspect at best at least he comes here and he knows that his quarterback is going to be the same guy barring injury from week one to week 18. And I just, I look at some of the skills set that we've started to see from DJ Moore, the deep threat. I mean, those 1.94 yards per route run um, and all of that speaks to what he can do for Justin Fields as a deep threat, but this top end speed when he's not like going full force, kind of what Fields said the other day, like he still has that extra gear he can lock, he can, you know, tap into to find the acceleration to separate. Like that is a true number one, because that's something that the other guys who are like, you know, below him in, in whatever rankings typically don't have. What makes you a number one receiver is not just, oh, I'm the big body X on the outside. I can win contested catch battles. I can win the 50-50 ball. I mean, it's it's finding that skill set that so many others who play your position do not have. And it is pretty rare to have that sort of speed that, that he has. Now, what does that do for Justin Fields in a crowded receiver room right now? It'll make his role appear much more clear cut from the very start. And we'll know, like we'll know pretty soon how quickly DJ Moore is going to be able to emerge as the alpha of that receiver room, because there are like you know there are some other personalities in there that I'm, I'm curious how that's going to mesh and how that's going to raise the competition level of other guys like a Chase Claypool, a Darnell Mooney coming off of injury, and everybody else. But I I think that's a fair ranking for DJ Moore. It's you know to to now see like what he can do when he actually has consistency and stability within the offense and knowing that like the head coach isn't going anywhere the offensive coordinator unless he gets a job after this season uh which would mean the offense is performing really well like all those things are good for him in terms of what it means for his career and the next step for dj moore to maybe jump further up those rankings uh in you know a year or two 
Yeah, it's it, what do you think that he does, right? I we've we've talked about him as the player. I, th- I think that he's an amazing player. Uh, I don't think that I, I've seen some people say this is kind of an Allen Robinson situation where yeah, he played with the bad quarterbacks. He was good, but he didn't really make the impact that you hoped he made here. I think that Justin Fields is a better quarterback than than DJ Moore has ever seen. I think that DJ Moore might have an opportunity to be one of the best wide receivers that the Bears have ever had because of the combination of hands, speed, and uh, ability to get himself open. Um, it, it also helps to have a quarterback that will be able to actually throw the deep ball to you as well. But how do you think that he's going to make life easier for the guys who are in this room already, the Chase Claypools, the Darnell Moonies, the Cole Komets even, right? Because I think the DJ Moore, very much like we talked about with DeAndre Hopkins, he's a guy that mm-hmm. just takes the pressure off of everybody else and allows Darnell Mooney to have that 1,000-yard receiving season we've seen him have yeah. before, allows Chase Claypool to have that, that early on in his career season, hopefully the bounce back to that. Yeah, to your point, about him being a better receiver than the Bears have ever had. His 5,200 career receiving yards tops anything that a Bears receiver has had in Chicago ever. So that's pretty remarkable when you think about the impact he has. He's already, like, I know some people laugh at this, but he hasn't played a down of football in Chicago, yet he may very well be the best receiver that this team has ever had. Let that sink in for a minute. That's crazy. Isn't that nuts? That is um, but under twenty six, by the way, under I think he ranks again, sixth on that list of all time of receivers under twenty six with over five thousand yards. It's and that's why, like, it's no, it's no small thing that he was who the Bears were targeting when they were looking for a receiver available via trade because you want to sync up your quarterback who's 24 years old this season with the same timeline as DJ Moore, because then if this combination works out, you're set. Like this is think about some of the best teams that have that quarterback wide receiver combination solidified. And that's something you can expect to remain consistent for, you know, five, six years at best. And that's, that's a pretty big thing. So that's what the Bears are banking on here. But like how DJ Moore will affect everybody else. I talked to a scout that I know in Carolina about like, you know, just when he was traded, I wanted to learn more about DJ Moore, what he does as a player that makes him so great, what he does from the, you know, sort of intangible respect too, with, you know, how he leads a room, how he can be the alpha without having to be, necessarily in your face about it and what I was told is that his leadership style and it'll be really interesting to watch this like of course it's you know there's some guys who will be like the natural teacher who wants to take players underneath their wing and do things a certain way there's also then there's like the lead by example guy and he very much according to this source I talked to falls into the latter part latter category where he will you know he'll be the guy who leaves the huddle early and that's not a bad thing. Like, like he gets, you know, the calls in, he's going to go out, he's going to do his job. And the quiet sort of leadership where it's him doing his job to the best of his ability, that's going to that's gonna reflect upon the rest of the receiver room to rise their level to what DJ Moore has, is consistently, you know, assuming everything goes according to plan, there's no injuries, but what he's consistently able to do within this offense. And you heard a little bit of that, just the very realistic, quiet, humble respect uh, of what he said last week when he was talking about how long it's going to take for him and Justin Fields to get on the same page and, and all those things. I think it makes sense. Like all of that stuff's lining up because we've gotten to see him in like a, you know, very limited fashion so far. But once you get to get, when you get to training camp, when you get to the regular season, how DJ Moore contributes and what those contributions mean for the rest of the receiving core, that's where you're going to start to see the return on your investment. If Darnell Mooney, when you put him back in the slot in a more natural position for him, where the matchups are going to be different than what he faced last year in you know the first 12 games, could that help him get back to a thousand yard or close to it receiving season? What does that mean for Chase Claypool being opposite DJ Moore in, you know, several, many uh, three receiver sets that they want to run. If you can have an alpha who doesn't necessarily have to go about it 
in the way that you might expect uh, from you know somebody who's who has that sort of designation where he can lead in a way that allows other guys to flourish in what they do best that's really going to take this receiving core to the next level. And it's a real rarity at that position to see the lead mm-hmm. by example guy. Usually the wide receiver room, you are the rah-rah guy. You are mm-hmm. the, hey, man, get me the ball. You are the, I'm on the sideline. You know, the, the, what we saw from Chase Claypool last season at the yeah. end of the year, right? Like that's that's just the wide receiver position um, that we've seen more times than not. And so it is interesting to see kind of a lead by example role from him. Here's one thing that I will ask you. Um, this comes down to guys being on the team next season at the end of the mm-hmm. day, right? Because two of the guys that you named are upper contract extensions, and you're hoping that they're going to be able to show out enough for them to prove that they're worth whatever they're asking for. But we've got four guys basically coming up on their second contract. Chase Claypool, Cole Komet, Jalen Johnson, Darnell Mooney, of those guys, somebody's going to have to go. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is the person that is the odd man looking in at the end of this season? Well, right now it's Chase Claypool. I mean, that's the obvious answer because he didn't do anything when he got here last year. And I do think the dip in production from his rookie season where he just like absolutely shined to kind of working his way out of Pittsburgh. It's not an, it's not really an organization where you see players that get drafted and developed by the Steelers end up moving on before their rookie deal is up. I think that that is, I don't want to say an indictment, but I think that's pretty telling that the Steelers were willing to, to deal him at the deadline and get a second round pick back. So then they could start rebuilding, um, you know, whatever they want to use, like the resources that they got for that trade. I don't remember exactly what they used the second round pick on for Claypool this year, but anyways, it's, it's just, I just think that there's something to be said about him needing to earn this in Chicago this year and the bears rightfully so slow playing any sort of extension talks about, about Chase Claypool, where you, you've heard more speculation and buzz around Cole Komet, around Jalen Johnson and Darnell Mooney, and there's mitigating factors for everybody. Mooney's yeah. coming off the injury this year. Will he be the same player um, that he was before the game against the New York Jets? Yeah. Jalen Johnson has one career interception. Do the ba- This is a defense that's predicated on takeaways. Do the Bears want to... <laughs> You know, do they do they want to see more production there? Are they comfortable? Like, hey, play out this year. We'll see how it goes, and then we'll talk about it. And Cole Komet, you know, there's a reason they went out and got Robert Tunyon, like for this offense. Like Cole Komet's not your deep vertical threat for the tight end position, and, and Robert Tunyon is. So, are you going to be paying a blocking tight end, or at least that's what we expect by proxy of bringing in somebody like Tunyon to this offense? Are you going to be playing a blocking tight end top dollar for the position? There's some complicated, like, there's nobody who's like, oh, my God, you have to, like, sign this guy right now because if you let him hit this season and he balls out, he's going to, you know, hit free agency and you're not going to be able to afford him. So, like, I would say of those four names, probably probably Mooney is the one that makes the most sense as of right now because everything is geared here towards the offense and towards helping Justin Fields get to – this, this, you know, per, get over this proverbial hurdle in year three and prove that he's the franchise guy. But you just, you're, you don't do it now without yeah. seeing how Mooney's going to be able to integrate with the team in training camp, assuming he's still on that timeline because of the ankle injury. Could there be a total reset with these names? With right? we're, 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 we're kind of thinking in the mindset, right? That you're going to bring this guy back. You're going to bring this guy back. You're going to bring this guy back. But realistically, the Bears have two picks at the top of the draft next season. I'd, you, it'd say a lot if you package two first-round picks to move up and go get Marvin Harrison, if that's even a thing. But that might be a thing because he might be that good of a receiver if they scout him as that. Could this be a complete reset where the Bears look at it and be like, I'm going to be honest with you, we'd be paying you just to say we've got somebody Mm -hmm. at the position, not because you're the best value? Of course, because we don't know what Ryan Poles' stance is on contract extensions because he hasn't made any yet. None of the players from last year. Like, true. No I didn't one was think extended. about that. <laughs> and, and, again, he like, got rid of all of them. <laughs> yeah, and he traded away, you know, two players that he, or at least one player that he could have extended and That's given true. a big deal to. And we're learning in real time 
about positional value with the general manager of the Chicago Bears. They, you know, didn't want to pay an off-ball linebacker upwards of, uh, you know, the number I had heard that came in initially was around 17. This is last summer for Roquan Smith. There was a big holdup there. They didn't want to make him the highest paid off-ball linebacker in the NFL. That's a priority. That's positional value. That's how you can see how Ryan Poles views that position. They drafted a running back in the fourth round. They tried to pay David Montgomery to keep him here. And they, after that ended up falling through, they said, okay, we are going to use a high, you know, considerably high draft pick on a running back who very well may end up being a number one in this offense, learning about positional value, learning how he values a position that many have devalued in the NFL. And then of course, hearing from Ryan Poles himself, where when you talk about those quote unquote premier positions, it's offensive line, edge rusher, cornerback. Those are the ones that he named. So you know, cornerback's the one that comes up when you have someone like Jalen Johnson who's due for a contract extension. But is he worth the big sort of, you know, he's not going to reset the market. He's not going to do that because he doesn't have the stats to back that up. He doesn't have the contributions from, you know, whereas like the other cornerbacks who have just inked deals over the last two years, like where do you, who's Jalen Johnson's comp when it comes to contract? It's hard to find one because of the lack of production in terms of takeaways being this is what this off this is what this defense is predicated on like it's literally the the t in hits principles for yeah. takeaways so i i think it's cool when you don't have a blueprint for a general manager where you get to see in real time this is what he values this is what his plan is because once the first extension happens we'll learn very quickly how he's going to prioritize other ones in the short term and also down the line because right now we just we just don't know and he very well could say you know what this is this is part of my long-term plan where they got through the first couple seasons the building blocks that they thought they might have had when they inherited if this if they end up extending nobody that tells you hey these were not players that we felt long-term we can build around there will be one this time next year if not before it you know if, if fields has a good good a really good season this year and they have the ability to pick up the fifth-year option. They have the ability to extend him. That could be if they don't end up extending any of these players that we have talked about before then, which I feel kind of – it's kind of hard to believe that they would let all of them walk. But if Fields is the first one that they do, assuming that this year goes goes according to plan for what the Bears have have sought after, then – and you're learning a lot about how Ryan pulls and truly like you got to give him credit at that point for like staying patient when they do have the resources to make some of these deals happen that he doesn't, you know, necessarily do it just because it's, well, you have all these resources and you do yeah. need players on this roster, veteran players on this roster at that. I feel like that's been a problem with Chicago teams as a whole for pretty much all of our entire existence. We, we look for the, we look for the bargain deal on the player. That's going to be the next level guy. There it's going to mm-hmm. be the right. Like the, the, the hope we pay guys off a of hope. Heck Ryan Pace paid half the roster off a of hope. And we saw the entire roster regress. So I, I, I think that Ryan Poles is a little bit more level headed like you. And so I, I, I would agree with you on that one um, that you're probably not going to move on from everybody. But there could be I, I think you could move on from two or three of these guys. And mm-hmm. and honestly, Darnell Mooney's best uh, <laughs> his best thing might be that he can come in and be the slot again and just be that guy. Yeah. And that he could just be Justin Fields boy like that really could just be like, oh, yeah, that's my guy, man. Like, you know, we can't get rid of Mooney. That's my brother. Oh, OK. Well, he's been here the longest with you. So it might work out more in his favor. Uh That's the first half of the show. We're getting to halftime. My favorite time, Courtney, I bring you a nugget today because we've got some breaking news on the show. I don't know if uh, we don't have a breaking news sounder. We got to get that. Breaking news. Golden State's Bob Myers, a two-time executive of the year and architect of architect of four NBA championships is stepping down as the franchise's president and GM. He told ESPN on Tuesday, it's just time per Adrian Wojnarowski. Courtney, is it finally over? Not necessarily. Um, I know that they've had like 
this has been coming, this has been coming like to the forefront been boiling underneath the surface for a while. Cause if I'm correct on this, I think that Bob Myers was in the final, he didn't have a contract beyond yeah, this season. Basically. So like, you know, I remember being out there in 2016 and 2017 and when they're building, you know, the super team with Kevin Durant and it was Bob Myers and Travis Schlank who was underneath him. I always thought that Schlank was going to be the next one. And of course he ends up getting the job in Atlanta. He subsequently steps down from the GM role down there, but they it'll I'm curious as to what this means now for the rest of the franchise. It doesn't necessarily because of who their owner is, because Joe Lacob has been so adamant that to hell with the luxury tax that teams like myself have to pay because of the size of our roster and financial burdens on our roster, he's willing to pay. I think Draymond Green ends up staying. I still think that that's part of the plan, regardless of who the general manager is and and the guy executing these contracts, because those comments that were made by Steve Kerr, they were made by Draymond Green, like all of those things that were said at the end of the season, they would have known that this decision was probably coming in the not too distant future. I mean, they've been, they were out of the playoffs a couple weeks ago. So this is not new news, but it's as far as what it means, like long-term, if you want to try to run this, continue to run this thing back when some people are going to tell you and rightfully so that maybe you shouldn't, it's how you get somebody in there to be the architect of the next generation of the warriors after more or less eight, nine, 10 years of success getting to this point where you're winning consistent championships. That's no small task. I I think that this is going to change what the future of the Warriors look like. I do agree with you that whoever comes in is probably going to try to add some assets to run this back one more time. Stephen Curry's still an unbelievable player. You're in the window right now. Like, yeah. Clay, Clay's lost a step. I don't think that's a yes. you know breaking news thing to sort of say that that's pretty obvious. But if you can keep this core together and get young players that do pan out, so finding, I mean, think about some of the things that they've struck out on. James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, like you know Moses. Moody. Have they on Kaminga, or does Kerr just hate him? Because every time Kaminga gets on the court, Kaminga kind of can play basketball. <laughs> he can, and that was supposed to be like the subsequent plan for Draymond Green. If that thing ended up blowing up in their face, and he proved after the suspension uh, in you know the earlier earlier in the postseason that when he came back, oh yeah, you did miss me. Kaminga would have balled out in the absence of Draymond Green in that King series, then we might be having a completely different discussion. But the Warriors are the place where Draymond Green works. Yeah. It works really, really well. I don't think they're ready to forego that yet just because it looks like the core of this group is getting older and some of the pieces that they have missed out on or just haven't worked out to what they expected that to, um, you know. I don't think that means you have to just like completely like start over from scratch. They've made some really smart moves. The the Andrew Wiggins move last year was a really, really Jeez. good one. And obviously when you lose someone like Bob Myers, who's ready to step down at some point, you've got to like think, okay, he's done all he can do, but there has to be some way to continue this thing going with somebody else running the, running the ship. Yeah, I think there's going to be a uh, – I think Jordan Poole may have a new address at the end of this season. Very well could get traded. I mean, I, you saw I, what happened. Like, you know, they gave him that $128 million contract last off, like last off season after the mm-hmm. finals. And, you know, I would I would not be surprised if that's one of – I'm kind of expecting a relatively quiet NBA free agency offseason period. It, it's weird. I just feel like there were because of the CBA and because of the movement that happened last offseason, outside of a couple things, you know, Kyrie Irving, where he's going next year. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, you know, Jordan Poole, if he ends up getting traded, there's probably not going to be a whole ton of buzz. So that might be one of the bigger ones that we're keeping track of two months from now. But as always, during the NBA offseason, we can always count on Kevin Durant wanting to go somewhere else. All right, let's keep this thing moving along. <laughs> Kevin Durant has fueled us through like seven offseasons in a row. I mean, they just they gave up the farm to go get him. I <laughs> hope he's not ready to leave. Every they, they, don't even have a, they don't even have a coach yet. That doesn't mean he won't come back. He was ready to leave the last two years in Brooklyn. He came back both times. <laughs> let's keep it moving. Let's get into the third quarter. Third quarter. Because we found out um, 
through Tennessee's offensive line coach and some of the guys that uh, Darnell Wright was going up against that uh, Darnell Wright might have a screw loose, which is not a bad thing at the offensive line position. I'm sure that you've met many offensive line offensive linemen, uh, most of them are not the most normal people that you'll see. They usually thrive off of, I want this guy to hit me in the face. And it seems like that's who Darnell Wright is. Some of the quotes that we got, it it was hilarious uh, hearing about, even from uh, Jerome Carvin, who was going up against them. He said, uh, yeah, that man, we just worked out with the Bears and that guy tried to kill him. And when he tried to kill him, basically, then Darnell Wright goes, man, that guy tried to kill me. But it was fun with a playful personality. They were trying to basically break Darnell Wright, and he mm-hmm. smiled at it. Is that indicative of the person that you've talked to, that you've seen on the field here early in OTAs, and what you saw from him in college? Well, right now he's their starting right. He's their starting right tackle, and he really hasn't had to do much to prove otherwise to the Bears that he needs time to develop, or it might be too much for him as a rookie. No, he's the 10th pick in the draft, so naturally you expect him to be able to escalate the learning curve much faster than others. And the reason that the Bears did this private workout with him, and he was the only offensive lineman they did a private workout with, so I think that's pretty telling about where he was on their priority list and what they wanted to glean from that to know, hey, this investment is one that we believe will pay off. He's already proving that. And being an offensive lineman, I think as a rookie, I think Luke Getzey is the one who said this, it's one of the hardest rookie transitions because typically you go into a room and there's five other guys, four other guys who, you know, are going to be starting next to you on the offensive line. And as veteran, you know, a lot of those people are veteran players. I mean, they've been playing longer than you. They are veteran players in the NFL. That can be a really tough transition. Now for Darnell Wright to come in and, for all intents and purposes, already be on the fast track to acing that rookie test, that's a really good sign that the Bears drafted the right fit within this offense and, and really within like what they're trying to do culturally in that locker room. You know, I, I remember asking him, uh, we did like a small group session with him after he was drafted, and, you know, He's, he's a young player. He, yeah. I think he's going to be 22 this season. He's 21 right now. His birthday, I think, is in a couple months. So, mm-hmm. like, the he went into college at 17. Right. The maturity factor that it takes being that young, also dealing with, you know, all the NCAA sanctions that came down where at one point they didn't have a coaching staff and you're responsible for getting yourself to whatever these workouts are during uh you know the off season just to be able to stay in shape and oh by the way he had to play during you know the covid year for everybody was you know difficult at best because there was no normalcy in that even though in the sec even though they they powered on through a full season that year there was more normalcy there than other places but all of those things factor into the type of player you're getting and knowing that this is somebody who's going to show up to work every day and realize this is a job. You're not just in college anymore. And when we sat down, I asked him about his motor. And I thought he was very honest about this. I said, how, how do you describe your motor? Because we talk about that with offensive linemen and with young guys and all that. He's like, it could be better. And I was kind of surprised by that when he said that, just because typically you'll hear guys say, yeah, I'm a high motor player, like, in, you know, kind of regurgitating some of the coach speak that we've heard about, you know, the effort and all those sorts of things that come with being a player that you're willing to take that big uh, of a swing on at, at 10, because if they don't pan out, then we're saying, Oh man, what a bust. Like the general manager didn't get this one, right. You use the first round pick on that player and he's, you know, not who you expect him to be, or it's wow. What a home run. This is a franchise player, somebody who could be in the system for a decade. And the quotes that you had, had put up on the screen there, he aced that test. That was not a normal workout. This isn't, I thought it was kind of interesting because we didn't know what the workout actually entailed until you were able to kind of dive deeper into it, talking to Josh Heupel, talking to Darnell Wright himself. This isn't some workout like, oh, we're, you're going to be expected to do this four days a week as you're gearing up for games in Chicago. This, is, or this, this, was, this was a, like, put him to the test, throw everything you can at him, mental and physical workout, and we'll see how you respond. 
that's not easy. I mean, think about how many teams. I think it was Buffalo that did a private workout with him, and there was one other team that did as well. And they, like he said, nothing compared to what he did with Chicago. And it's a good test. I mean, you've got to give Ryan Poles and Chris Morgan and the coaching staff a lot of credit for wanting to do their due diligence to make sure that they were drafting the right player all along because, you know, you can't just go off of what you hear from people that you talk to in the scouting process and go off of a pro day and go off of game tape. Like, if you really want to know, what a player is built of and the character and the makeup, you're going to do something like this and say, okay, let's see how he is at the end of this. Is this still a player that we want? And very clearly he was. It's, it's so interesting to me when I think about what he could be, because after I saw this and then kind of digging into what you guys were talking about with him um, on his workouts and in the workout that he went through, different things like that. I looked at him and I was like, I looked at his comment where he said, oh, we're to the parking lot with it. If somebody hits Justin Fields, if somebody hits him late, whatever it is. And I watched it again and I was like, I don't think he's joking. I think that Darnell Wright's first year isn't his issue isn't going to be technique. I don't think his issue is going to be acclimation to the league. I think his issue is going to be knowing when to step up and be in the face of a defender to add and help your quarterback? Because there is a strategy even to that, right? You do have to send the message of, hey, you're not going to hit my quarterback, but you don't want to put your team in bad positions. I think the hardest part that the O-line coach for the Bears and that uh, uh, um, Matt Eberflus and and Luke Getzey are going to have this season is going to be, hey, kid, you just cost us 15 yards. You can't do that in that moment. Yeah, you got to pick your spots with that. And I think that's one of the hardest things because there's the mindset of kind of players getting the the green light. Like, hey, if somebody hits the quarterback late or if there's something that's other than a sack that might have been on the quarterback or might have been, you know, something that was on the like the offensive line gave up a sack. In the instances where it's okay to go after the whistle, and I use okay in air quotes because it never is, you're going to get a penalty um, for unnecessary roughness. A lot of times that's greenlit by the people on the sidelines, and they want to see the quarterback being stood up for. Was it not Carson Wentz or somebody – was it Zach Wilson? One of the two this last year where the offensive line, after like a hit, like didn't go in and, you know – That was Zach Wilson. It didn't help him. like Zach Wilson. Yeah, like (laughs) – that's a bad look. And I think that that was even called out as to like, come on guys. Like, and then Mike gotta... White came up like right after that. And they're like, get out of Mike's face. It's like, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> and, and for Darnell Wright, I think it's going to be channeling some of that because when you mentioned like, you know, screw loose as an offensive lineman, you kind of have to have one if you're playing yeah. that position and knowing when to channel that into, all right, like we need to, you know, if you need an enforcer type to set the tone. I remember last year, that was still Tevin Jenkins. There was once or twice where I remember him getting after somebody after Justin Fields got hit. And that's the type of leadership you want to see your quarterback put out where guys are willing to go and fight that battle with him on the field and stand up for him because, you know, they're, they're, they are your line of defense. And the more you respect them, which he very clearly does, the more that they will come to your defense when you need them to. But that's probably going to be on fields too. Like, hey, man, like kind of talking to Darnell, right? If this is, you know, something where he ends up having like too much aggression in these yeah. moments where a quarterback's be like, no, look, I'm okay. Like, let's not put our team at, at any sort of disadvantage. I appreciate you appreciating me enough to go above and beyond. And that's something he'll learn in the offensive line room too. Like they all kind of have to have the same mindset on how these things are going to be handled, despite that you're going to have a bunch of different personalities in there because I mean, it's five guys working as one, the cliche term, which very much plays into how an offensive line works. I think it just, it, it again speaks to Ryan Poles following his plan, right? When he first got here, I know, I know it's the play. I, I, I don't know which play he looked at, but he brought this out early in the press conference about we want guys that are going to protect our quarterbacks. We want guys that are going to be nasty and that aren't going to let their quarterback take late hits and stuff like that. I know it's got to be the play where Tevin Jenkins ran over there and Charles Leno Jr. is like screaming in his face like you just cost us 15 yards. It's the dumbest thing you could have done. And it's like, yeah, but like he just killed Justin on the sideline. He's kind of important to what we want to do. So I like that 
at a minimum, Ryan Poles sticking with that archetype of like, all right, I, I want guys that are going to be aggressive or going to be nasty are going to protect their guy mm. before and after the whistle. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see Darno Wright in, in more than his share of of, uh, of, of dust-ups this season. And uh, Tevin seems like he's always down for smoke. No lie, Braxton's like the biggest one, and he seems like he's just like, hey, man, I'm just trying to get through this next play, man. I'm just... I mean, the whole idea of drinking from a fire hose as a rookie, nobody knows that more than the guy who played every single snap on offense. Yeah. A round pick. Yeah. And maybe we'll get to see – more personality from him on the field in those sorts of moments because you are protecting the quarterback's blind side. It's considered the premium spot along the offensive line, always has been, but he doesn't have – if your alphas are other places, it's not a bad thing on the offensive line because, again, like if one goes and they all got to go and, and kind of drive that thing together. Have we uh, – and we, we can finish it out. Uh, we got one more. We can get into that fourth quarter. But uh, before we do that, have we heard anything about Alex Leatherwood? Like we picked up all this money. Is he mm-hmm. out there moving and running and doing he things was. that are important? I wouldn't be surprised because last week – and I'm, I'm curious to see what happens tomorrow at OTAs. Is Nate Davis there? Because if he's there, we might get to see what this offensive line could look like week one as yeah. early as the second – uh, open OTA, which would be Braxton Jones at left tackle, uh, Tevin Jenkins at left guard, Cody Whitehair at center, Nate Davis at right guard, and then Darnell Wright at right tackle. So that would mean who's your swing tackle? Is that a role that Alex Leatherwood can play? Is that a role that he should play? I mean, you mentioned it, the financials on his contract and what the Bears picked up last year off waivers that's a really good spot for, for somebody like that. Now, I, I think there will be other guys in the competition in the yeah. mix there. We know that like Lucas Patrick is going to have to find some role. If he doesn't end up, you know, if he doesn't end up holding down a right guard spot, which feels kind of like on the outside looking in, because you yeah. did just sign Nate Davis to do that. You know, he provides you depth at multiple spots on the interior. Jatari Carter can do that too. We'll see if he actually gets a more sizable role this year, but is Alex Leatherwood your swing tackle? He's got inside-outside versatility. That might be the best spot for him. But again, like it's still – we really haven't talked about him much or had the chance to really see him do all that much because we've only seen one practice. But that might be where he fits in best. Otherwise, if they felt that he could, he was somebody that you know was an instant upgrade on the offensive line, they probably don't draft Darnell Wright. They probably yeah. would have kept Alex Leatherwood at right tackle where he played you know his entire rookie season with the Raiders. Yeah, I, I'm really intrigued to see what he's going to be because it's like, I mean, like the, the with the Raiders, he was awful. Um, I mean, he was he was just bad. But mm-hmm. the the there's got to be something in there because what was he? He was a first round pick for yeah. sure. But he was top ten, right? That was year, he top ten or top fifteen? Two thousand twenty. Um, let me look really quick because that's it's. I mean, I know they picked up you know more than six million in guarantees. He was taken let's see because uh, he was he was high he was high enough that i was like okay maybe 17. there is 17 he was taken in, in 2021 so he played yeah. the 21 season there before he was cut during roster um cut down last year and then was claimed so i mean he played over a thousand snaps as a rookie yeah. that's and like he stayed at right tackle and i i know for him it's got to be a frustrating thing where you get cut and claimed right before the start of the season, you're learning a new offense and then you get mono and you have all these other mitigating circumstances that make it really difficult to try to get comfortable in Chicago. He just never got there. Yeah. And that may honestly end up kind of as like the detriment for him going forward because he never really was able to latch on. And sometimes guys just really struggle. Like even when you do get the fresh start, clean slate, it's hard to, put yourself in that spot where it's like, man, they brought all these other guys in. Like I'm already so far down the depth chart. And, yeah. and you know, the bears may have learned in seeing what they saw from Leatherwood in practice after he was able to come back like week four or five off the NFI list last year, we only saw him in a handful of games. Yeah. Riley reef was never their long-term option at right tackle. You would have thought that if he was capable Leatherwood, that is that he would have been getting more run to show, Hey, next season I can be the guy at that spot. And for some reason the bears did not put him in that position to do that. 
It's going to be an interesting uh, training camp and all of that, man. Because first off, I forgot he caught mono. Like, how is mono still a thing in 2023? Like, we we still doing mono? And didn't what, what's yeah. going on with the NFL? Didn't like Zach Wilson catch like scurvy or something like that? Like, what did he end up getting? Like, what's going on with these NFL he guys? Mono too. Somebody else had it last what, year. What's going on with these NFL guys catching pirate diseases out here? Let's, let's get that out of the league first off. The, the medical experts. Let's get that out of the NFL. Uh, <laughs> let's finish this out, Courtney. Four corners. How was Memorial Day? How was your Memorial Day? What did you do? Did you just get some rest in, or was there a lot of shots taken? There were no shots taken. Dang there was a lot of, you know, the Topo Chico ranch water. Are you yeah, familiar? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. A lot of those consumed, which that might be the drink of the summer for me. Um, it's, you know, nice, light tequila and seltzer, like big yeah. fan. So they want to sponsor the podcast by all means. But the Friday before Memorial Day, I went down to Brownsburg, Indiana. So like the Indianapolis area, like all of my friends who I grew up with, like in Mississippi, I didn't grow up down there, but like my formative years as a journalist, all of us were together working between Jackson and Starkville. Two of my friends now live in Brownsburg, Indiana. So it was like our once a year Mississippi reunion where we all convened in one spot. We did the Jersey Shore a couple years ago. Um, this year we did the Indy 500. So I got to go to 500 for the first time, which was awesome. And the weather was perfect. We grilled out all day Saturday, just, you know, hung out, went in downtown Indianapolis. And the race itself was one of the coolest things that I've ever gotten to, to witness in person. Like that's a bucket list item for a lot of people. And to get to see how many people fill IMS was just wild to me because I interned at a station in Indianapolis, my junior year going into senior year of college. And I missed the 500 because I ended up going abroad that summer and missed the race. So I started my internship early in 2011, got to do all of the pre-race stuff, including like the late Dan Weldon. Um, One of my favorite stories, like as a young journalist, he took me around the track uh, Mazda was sponsoring an event for him called the Road to May, Road to May. Um, and he took me around the track in the pace car, like at 170 something miles an hour. It's absolutely insane. It was so fun, and that was like as close as I ever got to like being at the 500. So to finally get to be there as a spectator and see how fast the cars go and see how how much fanfare this is around a sport, frankly, that just has been you know, run through by the F1 crowd and never, you know, ever since like the, the split between uh, IndyCar and CART in the, you know, 20, 20 years ago now, like it's nice to see that this event still has the fanfare that it does every single year, despite the fact that like, you know, IndyCar is kind of irrelevant throughout the rest of the season. It's, it's so interesting because I, I, hear that the in-person experience all of a sudden turns you into a follower of like the Indianapolis and and NASCAR and all of that, because you just get to feel the cars going by Mm -hmm. and like the vibe of that just turned, like you come back just an instant car person. So I'm like, I I, want to go, but that TV bear, I don't know, man. Like I see it on TV and I'm just like, they're going left like a lot. It's, it's exciting though. Like we got through, I want to say it was like, it was, there were a cup, there were three red flags. So that means the race has stopped in the final right. 13 laps. So every time they were trying to restart after like the first big crash, that was where the car went upside down. That was Kyle Kirkwood. It was crazy because the, the arrow screen that's around the Indy car, which encloses the cockpit, uh, in ways that it was not before is what saves drivers lives when the car goes upside down. So I'm really happy to see the safety improvements that IndyCar has made, but you know, the first race was going fast, like first 160 laps. You're like, all right, we're cruising. We're out of here at three 30. I can, you know, get in the car and get back to Chicago by, you know, dinner time. And then the race stops multiple times and there's all these delays and seeing the finish, like anybody who says, racing is not a sport doesn't understand the strategy that goes into it. And I learned that because I mean, I grew up in an auto racing family. My dad did it as a hobby for a long time. And I think that you kind of are you ingratiate yourself with the idea that it's not just getting in the car and driving really fast. It's the passing strategy. It's the fuel 
um, you know, the conserving fuel and strategy that goes along with that, knowing when to pit, all things that factor into where you are on the track at any given time and how you're able to position yourself for a top finish. And it's really cool. And the drivers are very, very, very candid about their experiences and talking. Like you'll hear from drivers who get out of the uh, hospital in the infield. They, they always have to go after a crash and get checked out. And you'll hear them say, yeah, like that was not cool what that driver did, like bumping me or something like that. I think it yeah. was Simon Pagino said something about how he felt that it was Bush League, that whoever kind of you know hit his car there towards the end took him out of the race. You don't get that in a lot of other sports. I mean, That's sometimes true. you get it in the NFL where guys are willing to call each other out. Certainly we've seen it in the NBA, but like you just don't see it as frequently as you do, I think, in, in places like auto racing where these guys are, you know, driving machines that, you know, drive that are really, really fast. And the second that somebody hits you, it could take you out um, and put your, put your life at risk. Like, I think you're, you always end up getting more candid, real answers out of people in those sorts of situations. And I really appreciated getting to, um, you know, hear from Joseph Newgarden who won the race, just about how long it took him to get to this point. I thought I was really, really happy for him when he won. I always uh, tune in usually with mugs start throwing hands in the back because because uh, of that same reason. You know, it's just like, hey, I heard you was over there. So I'm going to just come beat you up real quick. It's just like, wait a minute. Hold on. Now, like <laughs> entire pit crews going to war. That's what I tune into NASCAR. Hey, that's been a uh, that's been another episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. We have covered the Warriors, the Bears and NASCAR and Indy uh, all at once. So. Uh, really good episode. Appreciate you as always for joining Courtney. Always a ton of fun. Make sure you guys are tuned in tomorrow. It's going to be me and McKee breaking down more Bears football and who knows what else. As always, it's your boy Pat the Designer back at it again to continue watching the show. Click the links on the screen. Make sure to check the links in the description below and make sure to leave that five-star review over on the podcast side. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Peace. Peace.